Voice of St. Louis original podcast. It's your local news on demand. This is the St. Louis All Local Podcast from the KMOX News Team. Today is Thursday, November 2nd. Our top local story. People are dying. This is not an acceptable situation. It hasn't been acceptable for decades. U.S. Senator Josh Hawley wants the EPA to immediately start cleanup on the Westlake landfill. Hawley made the plea to Bruno Piggott, the principal deputy assistant administrator for the Office of Water at the EPA. The latest thing the EPA said is, well, maybe they'd announce a remediation schedule to begin in 2024. But then in March of this year, the EPA announced that the contamination was worse than they thought, which the residents have been saying for years. And now they cannot provide a timeline for cleanup. I mean, this is unbelievable. Holly says he has a support of Senate colleagues in passage of legislation so that every resident in the St. Louis and St. Charles region who has been exposed to nuclear contamination have their medical bills paid for. That is the only fair and just thing to do. Glad to say it passed the Senate. I hope it'll soon pass the House. Maria Kino, Camel X News. The Lions and Legends ball fields in Eureka, which are under construction, are the scene of a minor hazmat situation. Eureka Fire Protection District Deputy Chief William Stamberger tells KMOX it involves a gasoline pipeline. No injuries, and the spill was contained um, on the site to the dirt uh, surrounding the area of excavation. Uh, there was a school that's located nearby that kids were on the playground and we just had them get in go inside so kind of a shelter in place and then the children left at normal um dismissal times Stamberger says Department of Natural Resources has responded to the scene as well as Philip 66 who owns the gas line. He adds the mitigation process has already started. There's no timeline yet when it will be repaired. The affected area is contained to the Lions and Legends ball fields just off South Jefferson Street in Eureka. A former Woodson Terrace police officer has admitted to kicking a man on the ground while being held at gunpoint by another police officer. 57-year-old David Mass pleaded guilty to a charge of deprivation of rights under color of law, namely the victim's right to be free from the use of unreasonable force. The charge carries up to 10 years in prison and or a $250,000 fine. Jewish leaders write a letter saying Congresswoman Cori Bush's statements regarding the war in the Middle East are fanning the flames of anti-Semitism. Jewish Federation of St. Louis CEO Brian Herstick was one of many local Jewish leaders who signed the letter. Bush defenders point to her co-sponsoring a resolution calling for Hamas to release hostages, but Herstig calls it doing the bare minimum and says she has a responsibility to do more. When your constituency is living in fear and has genuine concerns and the language you use helps fan the flames of potential anti-Semitism, there's a responsibility there too. Bush called the allegations unfair and says she understands how her Jewish constituents feel. Sean Malone, KMOX News. A KMOX follow-up. The man accused of the hit-and-run killing of a pedestrian crossing the street at Ted Drew's last July is scheduled to go to trial next April. Jacob Adler was 25 at the time. He's charged with leaving the scene of an accident and tampering with physical evidence, both felonies. 17-year-old Matthew Nikolai was killed as he was crossing Chippewa. Nikolai was allegedly hit by Adler as well as by another driver who did stop. A survey of vacant homes following the death of a city firefighter last year is helping crews have a better plan of attack. St. Louis City Firefighter Benjamin Polson died fighting a fire at a home that was later discovered to have been vacant for 18 years and was falling apart. Department spokesperson Garen Mosby says Polson's death sparked the need for a survey of homes in bad shape. By doing the vacant building survey, what we did was we gave everyone uh, another tool in the toolbox. And you take that uh, level of probability of collapse, right? Low, medium, or high, and you factor that into your decision making. 
A firefighter fell through a hole in the floor of a vacant home on Palm Street this morning, but was checked out and returned to duty. Stuart McMillan, KMOX News. Missourians' water supply comes from groundwater and two major rivers we share with other states. But with at least three quarters of Missouri dry or in various stages of drought, there's a move in the state legislature to protect Missouri's water supply from other states. It just seems to me to be a little bit too much of a scare tactic to try to, you know, have protectionism in the state of Missouri when even though we are in drought conditions, we are so fortunate and have so much water compared to other people. That's Bob Manise, staff attorney for the Great Rivers Environmental Law Center. He says up until now, our rivers have never gotten to a point of conflict where states might have to create a compact with Congress on how we share that water. Debbie Monterey, KMOX News. Well, as we continue on KMOX, there is a mega merger coming in the entertainment industry. Six Flags and Cedar Fair are merging. It's a $2 billion all-stock deal. Six Flags, of course, has a park in the St. Louis area, and theme park enthusiasts know all about Cedar Fair. Joining us now is Wall Street Journal breaking news reporter Will Fuhrer. Thank you so much for joining us, Will. Thanks for having me. So, uh, first of all, give us the details on Six Flags and Cedar Fair. Is one company going to have uh, more control over the resulting company than the other? Yeah, it's looking like this is really quite the coup for Cedar Fair here, which is going to own the shareholders of Cedar Fair will own about 51% of the combined company. The CEO of Cedar Fair, Richard Zimmerman, who I spoke with this morning, is going to be CEO of the combined company. Their CFO is also going to continue on in that role, although Six Flags CEO Salim Basul is going to be chairman of the company. So it is pretty equal parts, but Cedar Fair seems to have slightly the upper hand here. Is there a read on which company was doing uh, doing better leading up into the, the merger? Obviously, the Six Flags CEO came from outside of the company. They've had some financial issues. Uh, Cedar Fair seems like it's uh, regarded as a pretty well-run company. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, both companies struggled this year, and it's been a challenge coming out of the pandemic for the whole industry. We've even heard Disney talk about challenges in the South Florida market, although that's a somewhat different niche in the industry. Uh, So both companies have struggled, Six Flags more so probably than Cedar Fair. Cedar Fair is viewed largely as a best-in-class operator in the industry. Six Flags has obviously a, a fantastic national brand, but some of their parks have deteriorated a little bit. And Salim Basul came in and he had a really ambitious plan to turn it around, to invest back into the parks. And he's, he's done that to the best of his ability. But this is a tough industry. He, uh, he needed to raise prices, he felt, to, to push the money back into the company that he needed to. And uh, customers didn't love that, as they often don't when, when you raise prices. Uh, attendance fell pretty drastically last year. And it seems like that is what really... Uh, kind of uh, allowed this deal to take form because Six Flags market value actually fell below that of Cedar Fairs for really the first time in, in a long time. I've heard anecdotally from uh, theme park fans, especially those in St. Louis who uh, know the Six Flags uh, Park, wondering if, uh, as you mentioned, Cedar Fair has been doing some reinvestment. Uh, is that part of uh, what the new company plans plans to do? Could, uh, for instance, Six Flags St. Louis see new paint, uh, new attractions, upgrades, that sort of thing? Yeah, I think I, I think that's a fair assumption to make. Uh, you know, this the, the theme park industry, especially the regional theme park industry, is uh, really driven by new rides on a season-to-season basis. And Cedar Fair has been really consistent about you know investing in new rides and putting splashy new rides into its various parks and kind of cycling through so that every park got a big new ride. You know, every season or two. Whereas Six Flags has been a little bit less consistent. Some of its parks have languished a little bit, not gotten a big new ride in a long time. 
What about the branding? Because uh, Six Flags in the past, when it's gone through M&A, has, uh, has imposed that brand on all of the parks then under the umbrella. So could we expect Six Flags Kings Island, Six Flags Carowinds, or will those Cedar Fair brands, which have you know strong uh, recognition on their own, will those continue to, uh, to remain without the Six Flags uh, brand imposed, I suppose? Yeah, I know that's something that's top of mind for, for every theme park fan, and I, I put the question to Richard Zimmerman this morning, and he said in no uncertain terms that the company is going to continue to respect the regional brands. Cedar Point is going to remain Cedar Point, and, and all the other parks, he said, will remain uh, the, the current brand that they are. And when it comes to the licensed characters, you've got uh, Cedar Fair, which has had Peanuts, and Six Flags, which has had Warner Brothers and uh, DC Comics. Uh, any any change there, or will just the, the stable of characters expand for the new company? It's a good question. I, I, they, they are going to hold on to all of that intellectual property. That's the plan right now. So they will have all three of those uh, various kind of catalogs of, of characters to choose from. Is there a lot of geographic overlap here? Could there be some uh, antitrust divestitures that uh, might be required? It's a good question. There is a little bit of geographic overlap, especially in the California market, San Francisco, San Francisco and Los Angeles. Now, I put that question to, to both CEOs this morning. They felt comfortable about the, uh, the overlap, that it's not too much. They said that especially in an urban market like, say, Los Angeles, where there's a lot of traffic, it's really less about the distance from one park to the other, and it's about how long it takes to get there. Uh, now, talking about the, the Missouri market, for example, I mean, you've got uh, Six Flags has a park in St. Louis, and then Cedar Fair has their park in uh, Kansas City, I believe. And so, what, that's a three-and-a-half-hour drive or so, and uh, it's not too much overlap, but, you know, I think their thinking is that, let's say you're a season pass holder, and eventually they'll roll out some kind of pass where you can, uh, you know, buy to have membership to both parks. And so you, if you live right in the middle of those two parks, you can make a decision, you know, wake up on a Saturday and decide, do I want to go to the Six Flags or do I want to go to the Cedar Fair owned park? Finally, when it comes to the, the industry overall, where does this place uh, the new Six Flags? Uh, of course, in St. Louis, we previously had uh, Bush Entertainment, SeaWorld based here until uh, Anheuser-Busch was sold and that became an independent company. But when it comes to the, the big movie studios, the SeaWorlds, and now the new Six Flags Cedar Fair, what's the new uh, pecking order, I guess, in the amusement park industry? Yeah, it's a really good question. Uh, it's something we're going to be watching closely. Uh, SeaWorld stock is up about 5% as we speak. Uh, which gives you some indication of what the market is thinking, what investors are thinking. Uh, SeaWorld is clearly going to be the, the biggest competitor of this combined company, though. And SeaWorld has always kind of lived in a, in a strange space in this industry, is somewhat in between what we refer to as regional theme parks and destination theme parks. They have the, the SeaWorld brands in Texas and South Florida and California, where people, tourists fly from all over the world to go to those parks, just like they do to Disney World and Universal's parks. But then they also have the, the Bush Garden brands where uh, those more so rely on people driving, uh, locals driving to the, to the parks for daily visits, just like Six Flags and Cedar Fair Parks. So it'll be really interesting to play out. In my eyes, SeaWorld is going to be the biggest competitor here. But obviously, uh, you know, we're in a strange new world, really, where consumers have more options than ever for entertainment, for out, both out-of-home entertainment and in-home entertainment. So... It's, it's a big question that I think these executives are trying to figure out right now. If, you, if you're working in the C-suite at Six Flags, for example, who is your competitor? Is it, is it SeaWorld and Disney or is it, uh, you know, Netflix and, and uh, those kinds of places? Uh, it, it's a tough question. Top Golf comes to mind. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I will say uh, without my prompting, Richard Zimmerman did bring up Top Golf uh, when I spoke with him today. 
he he called that out as another option that consumers have these days. Big theme park merger between Six Flags and Cedar Fair. And thank you to Wall Street Journal breaking news reporter Will Fewer for joining us on KMOX to help us break it down. Thanks, Will. Thanks for having me. Thank you for tuning in. Subscribe and stay up to date on your schedule by downloading the Odyssey app or searching on your favorite podcast app.